all work and no play makes us dull men. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Is that good? Uh, Was that a good yeah. intro? J- Jeremy, uh, can you give me that bat? Oh, sure. Here. Thank you. And scene. <laughs> That's how The Shining could have gone if uh, <laughs> yeah. Jack had simply given her the bat. Sure. Thank you. Or wait, no. He wanted the bat from Wendy. Right. He goes, give me the bat. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your fucking brains in. So why? how come we never like go back and when we do like a bad intro, just redo it? I have no idea. Why do we always... <laughs> just go with it go with whatever the first person said <laughs> yeah with no forethought uh whatsoever i think it's ex- extreme laziness and social exhaustion <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah, yeah i um, think so too but this is our so, this is our shining episode this is uh eric and jeremy uh uh, sh- uh what are we doing we're sh- sh- we're not shutting up about the shining that's for sure yeah um, so if you're new to this podcast, we started as a Chucky podcast and then we were an Ari Aster podcast and then we were a Final Destination podcast. Uh, and now we are just covering things, uh, that people either told us to or we want to. Willy nilly. Uh, yes. Until we get to our next theme. And Jeremy, I wanted to pitch to you the idea of us doing an episode on the lighthouse. Oh, great. I mean, I haven't seen it yet, want, but sure. Yeah, me, me neither. It comes out this weekend, but I wanted to pitch that like to the listeners because uh, if people want to hear us talk about that, I'm going to see it, and I'll probably want to talk about it. Um, but real quick, we have a Patreon where we are covering. We just did an episode on the Joker where um, uh, we are, I think, the first podcast to talk about that movie right uh, yes we are in depth no we are yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and analyze it uh yeah but we also have been covering the tales from the crypt uh every single episode in chronological order uh we're only on episode four right now uh so sign up at patreon.com slash eric and jeremy and um this is our uh i guess our first two-part episode yeah if you haven't heard part one it it was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't go back and like re-listen to the, these podcasts no, very how, often. How could you? How could you do that? That would be terrible. Um, but I did. I did re-listen to like most of our part one, uh, and it was fun because it was there was like a point. <laughs> I was thinking about it the next day. There was a like going like during the recording of that podcast. I realized that I'm a moon landing truther. <laughs> Like I, it was the first time I said out loud, like I believe that the moon landing was faked. Yeah, did all Twitter was, like, like arrive at your door like with pitchforks and torches? <laughs> uh, no. There's a. I live in a gated building. Okay. But uh, but yeah. Um. So listen to that. We we cover the background on the uh on the Shining and some trivia, and we talk a hell of a lot about the conspiracies behind it um in this episode we're gonna like go through the plot uh and kind of talk about it uh beat by beat Mm -hmm. but before that jeremy uh i've done a little uh a little research so uh listeners of the show know that we have a we have a producer uh 
The original executive producer, Dad Wears Glasses. Yes, he, the OG of all time executive producer. <laughs> yeah. He, he messaged me uh, very threateningly on Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and he told me that I simply must read the book The Shining. Uh, so I, over the course of the past week, Jeremy, I downloaded some weird audiobook app uh, that <laughs> is, I think it's just called like audiobooks.com or something, but you get a free audiobook, and I listened to the entire audiobook of The Shining. Wow, so you're already done. In the last like six days. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know what people are talking about. I mean, the only difference I noticed is Wendy is blonde. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, a good it's joke. crazy. Yeah. It's almost like too... Wendy is blonde in the book, but it's almost too like... There's like too many differences to even talk like like i even like i stopped keeping track of it at a certain point like i went into listening to the book thinking like you know let's kind of like analyze what kubrick left out of the film and i can like Mm -hmm. you know use that to like strengthen my weird like moon landing conspiracy or uh just like examine the film itself uh in greater detail and it truly is like completely different like almost to the point uh, and I guess spoilers for the book. If you're uh, going to read the book, sure. um, maybe don't listen to this part. But it's uh, he basically just kept the setting, the characters, and some of the character like backstories and uh, tiny bits of dialogue. But there's points like, first of all, the hotel like it's a completely different ending. The hotel blows up. What? Uh, <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, Jack like blows up the hotel. Uh, the whole like Halloran. You know how in the movie Halloran, uh, we cut to when Danny like sends him a signal, starts shining to him. We cut to Halloran in his uh, apartment, mm-hmm. and then we kind of get this little montage of him like going up to the going up to the hotel. Right. Uh, on a snowmobile and shit, and then he gets in the door and then immediately gets killed by an axe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole that whole like sequence is like one tenth of the book. It's like it's oh, like, it's a, like huge a huge chunk part of, the of book. it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's really it's it's really funny. Uh, uh, it was really funny at a certain point to just realize like Kubrick didn't keep any of this and it like yeah. totally makes sense that Stephen King uh doesn't like the film uh it makes sense that like someone who would have read the book first wouldn't like didn't the film. like the film yeah um but i also kind of wish that more book movie adaptations were like this like i wish that it I didn't see chapter two, right? But I, but I do wish that like it or uh, I'm trying struggling to think of a better example, but like a book like the girl with the dragon tattoo. I remember was like very faithful, similar, very very faithful to the book. And it, I had just read the book and I saw that movie and I was like, well, I just saw the same story again, right? Just, like faster, and there were like pretty colors and like good looking people <laughs> right. acting. 
Um, yeah. I, it I it actually made me appreciate what Kubrick did a lot more. And it definitely made me uh, feel way more strongly that he was trying to say something. Um, mm-hmm. And that's up for debate. But uh, he definitely made like a very, very uh, obvious choice to stray from the novel a lot. Uh, I love anyway, that. I, I just, love that. That's great. I, I think that that's... Um, I, I definitely appreciate that too. And I hope that more film daring filmmakers in the future will take more liberties with their source material only because I think you, you hit the nail on the head. You were like, we already have the book. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like that's already there. That already exists. Like in the film adaptation of the book, I want to see something different, perhaps a different take right. on it maybe. So, yeah. Yeah, um, and also, I fucking listened to an entire audiobook in a week for you people, so uh, <laughs> don't say I never did anything for you. Yeah, when Christmas comes uh, around, don't say Eric never gave you nothing. He gave you his time. <laughs> Jeremy, uh, b- before I forget, uh, our, our our dear friend uh, and listener and patron, uh, Brian, he bought a, a physical copy of The Shining, which he saw for the first time. It was interesting to read his thoughts oh, about cool. it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, but he gave us the digital download uh, code to give away. Uh, oh, so do I, I smell like a competition? A, a contest? Well, I already put it out on Twitter. I, it was like a retweet kind of thing where... Uh, if you retweet our our first uh, the post about our first episode, uh, our first shining episode, uh, you you are entered into the raffle. So I figured I would leave it up to you to pick a number between one and twenty. All right, it's gonna have to be my favorite number of all, one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so Diaz. Whoa. At my life as Diaz, uh, he follows us. Diaz, enjoy your. I'll I'll, I'll message you. I'll DM you that uh, 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 fucking code. I hope you enjoy it, my friend. Very cool. Um, Very cool. Our first giveaway, Jeremy. I love that. I I I was so unprepared for all of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm so um, I'm so happy. So. We like to uh, do lots of research for this podcast. Right. Part of that research that we usually do in the second half of episodes, or in this case, uh, part two of a two-part episode, is we will uh, log on to an exclusive uh, information website called uh, Wikipedia, Mm -hmm. and we will go through the plot (laughs) that some random weirdo uh, with a lot of time Mm -hmm. put into the page for Mm -hmm. the movie. Right, Uh, right, yeah. And we will uh, go through it and usually complain about its inaccuracies. Uh, so I was thinking we start we start doing that now. How, how's that sound, Jeremy? Okay, sounds good. So school teacher turned writer Jack Torrance arrives at the remote Overlook Hotel in the Rocky Mountains to be interviewed for the position of winter caretaker. Uh, very iconic opening uh, sequence, I would say, right? The credits? Uh, yeah. I mean, did you... Have you, like, gone through all of, like, the... The, like, how they got all that footage and stuff and, like, the... Like, the, um... Fucking... Like, the score. Like, how they scored that beginning 
scene and stuff. It's all very interesting. Well, but I know that the score is the people that Kubrick hired didn't ma- like match totally the tone he was going for, so he used a combination of like a few different uh, composers' stuff, right? Well, yeah, and um, and I think when you when you say combination. Uh, it's like two layered on top of each other, two different scores. You just like put them together. Oh, okay. I think, yeah, was um, yeah. But uh, but again, he was using um, Georgi Ligeti. Do you, does that name make, uh, ring any bells to you? Um, he's the guy who composed I, 2001 Space Odyssey, basically. Oh, okay. So yeah, he's like he's like that haunted, uh, bizarre, fucking freak composer, Ligeti. Who like when he uses a lot of like people screaming and wailing in his compositions. That's why you hear all those like people's voices and stuff in like The Shining and yeah. yeah. You know, come to think of it, I ordered the Ligeti the last time I went to uh, Fazoli's. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the hotel was built on the site of a Native American burial ground. Uh, so we learn this when uh, Jack, and as we go through this, uh, I'll kind of point out some of the differences um, that I find notable about the book. And the I movie, would love, but, uh, I would love that. So the first, the first uh, big one is uh, Jack fucking hates uh, uh, the uh, who is the owner? What's the name of the owner? Um, oh, I think his name's like uh, it's like. Uh, Fick McBusiness tie. Fick. Uh, he hates the, he he hates the owner of the Overlook Hotel. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. So he meets um, the owner and learns uh, in, interviews for the position, and he gets the job, and he learns about how this hotel was built on a Native American burial ground. Uh, it closes during uh, the Snowden months. Uh, and Jack is basically to be the caretaker. Uh, him and his family are supposed to stay here, and he is um, working on a writing project. In the book, it's a it's a play. Um, and yeah, so this basically picks up like halfway into the book uh, is where we start in the movie. Oh, really? Like, Interesting. First, it, it's like. <laughs> the book is almost more of a drama at times because we really like learn uh, almost too much at times about like Jack's alcoholism and uh, the one thing it really goes into uh, it's basically about like Danny's shining which is like only vaguely touched on in the movie kind of yeah it's almost it's almost Um, laughably not talked about to the point of like it's it raises so many more questions than it gives answers. I don't know if that's how it yeah. is in the book, if it's more defined in the book, but it's like so fucking weird and thrown in the movie, you know, <laughs> like right, yeah. Um, man, manager Stuart Ullman uh, tells Jack about the hotel's history and warns him about its uh, reputation. Uh, previous caretaker Charles Grady supposedly developed cabin fever. Uh, and killed his family and himself. Uh, despite the troubling uh, backstory, Jack is impressed with the hotel and gets the job. Uh, in Boulder, Jack's son Danny has a terrifying premonition about the hotel, and Jack's wife Wendy tells a doctor about Danny's imaginary friend, Tony. Um, so 
what did you what do you think of this <laughs> like <laughs> whole, this whole setup uh the setup's great for this film i think it's like famously a g- good <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense it's talked about in with high regards in most film critical film circles i personally find it to be one of the greatest openings to a film ever it's so like cleanly directed i I, i've used that term before and what i mean by that is it's like every shot and every frame like deserves to be there nothing feels out of place it feels like like so logical the progression of like how we get information um yes so i'm like i'm like a really huge fan of this opening sequence i think it like i think it's like very good storytelling but 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 how about you especially now that you're you know you've learned to read and uh yeah or at least you've learned learned to read with my ears yeah you learned to read with your ears (laughs) um no yeah i i i mean listening to the book has just made me want to watch the movie again (laughs) Uh, so i honestly might do that this weekend but it's I mean, yeah, I second everything you said. Like, everything down to, like, I've always really admired the sort of, like, I'm going to call it choreography of, like, what's going on in the background in, like, the lobby of the hotel when people are, like, moving out. And it seems like every, like, minute little, like, thing that every uh, background actor is doing is, like, very... uh, precise. Like, there is, like, a reason behind it. Uh... And it's just very like visually appealing. Um, I love it. It's it, it's great. It's it's uh, fucking. It's up there with um, other movies that have good uh, openings. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, I got uh, a question. Is the name Charles Grady? Is that like supposed to mean anything to us? I mean, I, he is the guy that we'll end up meeting later, correct? Isn't he the guy in yeah. the in the bathroom? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's just set getting that name in our in our heads gotcha. uh, for okay. later. All right. Um, and Tony Tony is discussed a lot more in in the book. Is Tony? Uh, does it, that name have any significance? Or I don't remember. I I don't think they like talk about the reason behind the name but tony is actually like a figure that danny can see um and he sees tony like before he starts shining basically right um and when he's in the hotel there's like a point when he's in the hotel uh towards the end where like he starts being able to see tony like closer and closer um but when the uh, when the fan also the the book is uh, heavily references the Mask of the Red Death. Have you ever read that? No. The, uh, the Edgar Allan Poe. Oh no! Still, but it's more very interesting. Good. It is good. Yeah. Um, okay. It looks like we're better. We're back up. Yeah. Okay. What was the last? Uh, go back to your last thought. And pick up uh, in five, four, three, three, two, <laughs> one. When the family moves into the hotel <laughs> on closing day, uh, head, sh- head, head chef, chief. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dick Halloran. No, now I can edit it out. Uh, surprises Danny by telepathically offering him ice cream. Uh, Halloran explains to Danny that he and his grandmother uh, shared the telepathic ability, which he calls shining. 
Hatherin tells Danny that the hotel has has a shine to it, along with many memories, not all of which are good. Uh, he tells Danny to stay away from room 237. What do you think of uh, Dick Halloran? I mean, he's amazing. He's Scatman Crothers, who's yeah. like a fucking amazing performer and like electric uh, person, like an electric performer. You're like very drawn to him immediately. But this is like the first time you get like the creepy fucking shining stuff in the film um which is like really cool like and really interesting and like i don't think this film has many flaws but if i had to say one complaint it's like i wish there was kind of something more with the shining or that it like tied up more nicely towards the end because it really made no fucking difference whatsoever (laughs) in the scope of this film like that he has this telepathic ability it, it it almost like serves as more of a red herring than anything else because you feel like it's going to be important, especially to oh Hol- like Holloran's character, and then I mean we'll find out later what happens to him, but not a lot with The Shining, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's really funny, uh, like how much you learn about it in the book, and how like you not reading the book but having seen this movie, no you can like describe what the shining is as well as someone who has read the book. You know what I mean? Like it's funny how Kubrick just kind of like was able to just cut out like the very basic idea of it and just throw it in there. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes. And something that like Stephen King like developed over pages and pages. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, But, but it is more, Explained in the book, right? More what? Explained in the book? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like you get, so. you got, you got what it was by the end. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much <laughs> the same thing as you. It's it's like a like it's not like ex, like scientifically explained or anything. It's there's like a point where like. Danny goes to the doctor and the do- the like the doctor uh this is weird actually I didn't really think about this the doctor like realizes that Danny can like read minds but like just chalks it up to like really good intuition or something mm, interesting um but there's a point like further on in the novel like Jack and Wendy realize that Danny can actually do this like this is like a real thing like you can actually like read minds and stuff right um, yeah and it becomes like more of an understood thing and a little bit more i guess essential to like the the whole plot but but yeah i don't know like the it's funny because the, the book is way more about danny and i feel like the movie is pretty much exclusively about jack that's very interesting I love that. Okay. All right. Uh, So a month passes while Jack's writing goes nowhere. Uh, Danny and Wendy explore the hotel's hedge maze. Uh, No hedge maze in the book. There is a a topiary. Yeah. A topiary, which is where there's, I guess, like hedge clipping uh, fucking like animals and stuff. Does that make sense? Like animals Uh clipped out of hedges and they like move around and shit. 
Weird. Like, as Jack is going more and more crazy, they, they're, like, following him and stuff. Um, but Halloran uh, goes to Florida. Uh, Wendy learns that the phone lines are out due to the heavy snowfall, and Danny has frightening visions. Uh, Jack behaves strangely and becomes uh, prone to violent outbursts. Well, wait. Okay, so um, the visions, the frightening visions. The, yeah. This is, like, the... F- first time because i don't want to like totally blow right past it but the first time we see the twins right right this would be like in he's in like that room and he turns around and like towards the door there's like two twins standing in the doorway yes yeah that yeah, fucking looks like a, the game room or whatever right yeah that fucking rules yeah. it's like it's so good it's so yeah. it's so insane <laughs> it's like the most insane it's like one of the one of the things this, this film is famous for but it also is like i don't know why are twins so scary? <laughs> right. And sort of the way it's done is it's not like, like if that was done now in like a normal like horror movie that you'd see and it, 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 would, it would have like a big like thudding sound effect and have all this like, it would be all like done up to like try and make you jump out of your seat and shit. But there's something like almost... Like, just the, the very idea of the twins being there themselves is, like, the scary part in this. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's oh, yeah. not, like, a jump scare, necessarily. Um, although I did jump out of my seat. Uh, <laughs> Danny's curiosity about room 237 overcomes him uh, when he sees the room's door open. Uh, later, Wendy finds Jack screaming during a nightmare while asleep at his typewriter. Uh, after she awakens him, Jack says he dreamed that he killed her and Danny. Danny arrives, visibly traumatized and bruised. Wendy accuses Jack of abusing him, which Jack denies. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's the thing about <laughs> these Wikipedia synopsis. I right. think we skipped over like eight very good scenes. Well, um, and it's like it's like yeah, yeah, this seems like the most of the movie is in this. For some right. reason, like loaded into this one paragraph but so it's all the setup of like the hedge maze stuff where he's like looking down at them walking through the hedge maze but there's like also a model of the hedge maze right yes yeah yeah that's really cool yeah and it's super weird it's like never really fully explored like whether or not he can see them through the model (laughs) like walking around or if you know what I mean? Or if it's just like cool trick photography that right. al- that allows him to both be in frame as and as they're walking around at the same time. It's like an incredible shot though. Yeah, it's really it's one of my favorites. Yeah. And uh And we and th- we have a lot of him going around on his tricycle, right? Or his like yes. big big wheel. Yeah, so this was like uh I don't know, a little bit more on the technical side of the shining. The Steadicam, which is like has been utilized yeah. ever since, was developed pretty much in conjunction with this film. And the person who developed the Steadicam operated the Steadicam on this film. Isn't that fucking rad oh. as hell? <laughs> yeah. So like all of those shots of him like flying through the hotel room is like the guy on you know with his just his socks on walking behind Danny with a giant camera. But like had that technology was brand new at the time wow yeah um 
one of my favorite uh like sounds in the world is the sound of uh Danny riding when he he transitions from riding on the carpet to riding on the the wood floor. Yeah, it's cool. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's yeah. like It's like a like I think I have ASMR for that. Yeah, I get a huge boner when I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not because there's a kid riding a a big wheel. No, it's I have to explain that to everyone every time. It's not cuz of that. Yeah. 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 Um let's see. Jack wanders into into uh, the hotel's gold room. Yeah, so this is like bartender. a very famous scene. This is the bartending scene uh where everyone's like dancing and kind of hanging out and partying in like the the main area. Yes. That fucking um, sucks. <laughs> it's so scary. Yeah. It's so it's, crazy. it's so effective, yeah. Uh my favorite part uh well we'll get to it it's later on but in in the book uh there is like a whole you learn a lot about the history of the hotel and the uh jack finds this like ledger or something these these like records of people who own the hotel and he finds out that there is like all these like this like mafia tie to the hotel or set like some weird like crime crime type thing oh interesting crime racket tied into the hotel and it, it was at once a key club which i don't exactly know what that is but i think it's for like it's like rich people sex party kind of thing yes or like <laughs> yeah. yes it definitely uh, is that <laughs> so this uh so this ball this like ghost ball that we are seeing in this in the film is in the book it is like from that like those kinds of people all having this like big party in the in in the hotel mm-hmm. um and uh so anyway wendy tells uh jack that danny told her uh, wait hold on well this is he, like oh yeah he meets lloyd yeah, and meets complains lloyd. about his marriage yeah, but yeah. but it's like yeah that's where that sh- that shot that is most associated with the shining of like him at the bar where he's like all lit from like his face somehow you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like that wide yeah, shot yeah. of him at the bar where he's like, I'll have a blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's it's a very good. And I, this is not the same scene where he goes into the bathroom, right? Is that no, later? No, no, no. That's okay. later. Yeah, later. Where, where, where the man tells him how he corrected them. Yeah. Yeah. You line them up and I'll knock them down. Uh, <laughs> Wendy tells Jack that Donnie told her a uh, crazy woman in room 237 attempted to strangle him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack investigates room 237 and encounters a dead woman's ghost, but he <laughs> fell, he tells, uh, Wendy that he saw nothing. Well, because uh, he was trying to get his fuck on. Yeah. Is <laughs> probably more, more uh, why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like a disgusting scene where he like starts to make out the woman and then she turns into an old woman because like, he's like his, her like skin starts to fall off. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty fucking crazy uh and there's a very uh interesting factoid about that that old woman uh that we talk about in uh part one so if you haven't listened to that you should you should listen to it because it's pretty insane but uh wendy and jack argue over whether danny should be removed from the hotel uh and jack angrily returns to the gold room now filled with ghosts attending a ball uh while participating uh, he he meets the ghost of grady uh, who tells Jack that he must correct his wife and child and that Danny has reached out to Halloran using his talent. 
this bathroom is like one of the most one of the coolest sets yeah. in a movie. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's really weird. It's really disorienting too. I believe this is like a, a, one of the fourth wall breaking scenes in the film. And by fourth wall breaking, I mean like uh maybe I'm talking about actually third wall breaking. Whatever it is where you're like switching the camera around when you're like in angles you're not supposed to. It's like uh, some, yeah. something that's used by like like Wes Anderson does this a lot, but Kubrick used to do this a lot too, where it was just like a way of disorienting the audience by like like moving the camera in such a way where like it wouldn't it doesn't logically go there. Like the every every shot up against itself doesn't really isn't supposed to flow, and it doesn't. It barely does, but it's like it's like super weird. Yeah, and it's also like one of those examples of like editing where they like they start wide and then they go in like you're supposed to like go like wide mid shot close up back to mid shot back to wide. And they like, I think they fuck around with that too, where they like play with going from a wide to an extreme close up to a, a mid shot to a wide. You know what I mean? Like there's like rearrange the order that's supposed to go in anyway. Yeah. 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 I did watch that, that uh, Vivian Kubrick documentary, by the way. Oh yeah. Uh, What'd you think? It was like, it was really good. It was really good. I didn't realize. I thought it was like feature length, um, so I had been putting it off. But it's just like this little like thirty minute documentary, and it's just behind the scenes footage, uh, and it's a lot of Nicholson. But they show uh, Kubrick coming up for like how he's gonna do that, like looking up shot at Jack when he's in the freezer, like pounding, asking, telling Wendy to let him out. Right. Uh, do you remember this? It's it's like you just see like uh, Jack is like rehearsing the line, leaning up against the door of the freezer. Yeah. And Kubrick like takes his little like, I don't even know what the thing's called, but like a little like microscope looking thing mm-hmm. and just like looks up. Yeah. It's like a, fi- it's like a film like, lens. Yeah, that's the shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's called. A film <laughs> lens. A film lens. Yeah. He's like looking yeah. through it with his naked eye. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But um, so <laughs> while searching for Jack, uh, Wendy discovers that her now deranged husband has been typing pages filled with uh, the phrase, all work and no play make uh, Homer a dull boy. <laughs> yeah. Make Homer go something, something <laughs> crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> uh, she begs Jack to leave the hotel with Danny, but he threatens her. Uh, Wendy knocks him unconscious with a baseball bat and uh, locks him in the kitchen pantry. After we get the great line, uh, Wendy, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your fucking brains in, which is like, yeah. I remember as a kid just being so confused by that line. And then as an adult being like, oh, it's actually it's actually cool that it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, of uh, course, don't give it yeah. to him. He's say, he's admitting he's going to bash your brains in. <laughs> by the way, uh, the axe... In the book is a is a roke mallet, and I learned what roke is from the book. Uh, it actually plays a big role uh, in the film, but it's like an old form of croquet. Um, Interesting. I don't know. Just thought it was weird. Yeah. But uh, it, it's almost like uh, Stephen King. Like he talks so much about roke in it. He, they, he like tells you what it is, and like keeps bringing up this roke mallet it's almost as if he like learned about roke at the time that he was <laughs> yeah. reading, uh, writing this right uh but she begs jack uh wait hold on uh yeah she and danny are both trapped 
uh, as Jack has disabled the hotel's two-way radio in Snowcat. Uh, Jack converses through the pantry door with Grady, who frees him. So at this point, Grady in real life doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. In this reality that like Wendy and Danny are living in. Right. No, but he lets him out of the pantry. Right. Yeah. So this gets into the territory of like, what is real and what's not and like what there's theories that um a lot of this is a dream uh, is a theory that i read about or there's certain things that are happening that uh like that like this for example everything we are have been like led to believe at this point is that grady is a ghost right yet he yet he lets jack through a physical door of a freezer Yes, but the ghosts have already shown themselves to like uh, enter into the corporeal realm of like hurting mm. Danny at some point, right? Or like, sure. Um, yeah, I, I guess. And they're being seen now by everyone, I believe. Unless, unless Wendy hasn't been able to see anything yet. Does she? Is she still like in denial and like hasn't like really seen anything ghostly? Because no, she hasn't seen the bear sucking off the old. Yeah, or has uh, she seen the elevator yet? yet? Hmm. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, but I mean, like, so eventually everyone starts to see everything at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But I mean, it is like you're you're totally right. Where it's like, it's such a cool moment, but it does bring up a lot of interesting points, like. So the, they're really, I mean, and I feel like once the ghost frees Jack, we're, it's safe to say that the movie is saying they're real, right? Right. And that they can yeah. like do physical things. And this is not just like a guy going crazy. This is like a guy almost like being helped along in his insanity by a bunch of ghosts in a house. Um, or they're, maybe they're causing it or whatever, but that they're definitely real and it's not just mental illness or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so Danny continues chanting and drawing the word red rum. Right. Uh, when Wendy sees the word reversed in the bedroom mirror, uh, the word is revealed to be hamburger. (laughs) Uh, no, it's murder. Uh, and Jack hacks through the, uh, the quarters main door with an ax. Look, I know that this is, uh, like, iconic. This is an iconic scene. I think I post I posted this clip on Twitter, but that moment when Jack is, uh, when we're on Jack just hacking away at the fucking door, mm. uh, the way the camera kind of, like, pull, like, moves along with the axe. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it, like, Like, when Jack winds up and pulls the axe back, the camera, like, slowly cranks left. And then when he swings it, it, like, moves really quickly to the right. It's really fucking good. Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, that little factoid about Nicholson being, like, a volunteer fire marshal uh, (laughs) really got me in that that first uh, part part of this episode that we did. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because yeah. the man can swing an axe. Hell yeah, he can. 
Uh, Wendy sends Danny through the bathroom window, but it will not open sufficiently for her to pass. Uh, Jack breaks through the door, but retreats after Wendy slashes his hand with a knife. Uh, hearing Halloran arriving in a snowcat, Jack ambushes and murders him in the lobby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like Jack's a very busy guy tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, then pr- he pursues Danny into the hedge maze. Calls himself the wolf, uh, right? Yeah. He's going to huff and puff and blow your house down. Yeah, that was a great... He's so fucking good in this. Yeah. Uh, Wendy runs through the hotel looking for Danny uh, to to uh, encountering ghosts. That's uh, one way to put this it. This is <laughs> one of my favorite moments when uh, Wendy, like, turns a corner and sees, like, a ghost of an old-timey ballroom attendee, and he's just like, great party, isn't it? Yeah. But his head's bleeding, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, a cascade of blood Danny envisioned uh, in Boulder. What? A cascade of blood Danny envisioned in Boulder. Yeah, the cascade, of, the, ca- the cascade of blood is the elevator. Ah, uh, yes. Um, Danny lays a false trail to mislead Jack and hides behind a snowdrift. So this is, uh, we talked a little bit about, in part one, about the theory that the the... Native American, uh, like, genocide themes. Oh, interesting. Is this, like... This is something that is brought up is, yeah, this was an old, like, hunting tactic, I guess. But was this Um, ever used to, like... I don't know. Was it... I don't know. Does this correlate in any way to, like, our treatment of the Native Americans? Like, did we at some point, like, trick them into going the wrong direction? You know what I mean? Like, in, like, a... No, this was like actually like what Danny is doing uh, in this, like walking backwards in his own footsteps is like an old, uh, I guess, thing that was uh, known as like a war or like hunting tactic for mm-hmm. like indigenous people at some point. Um, right. I was, I was wondering if it had any like more significance than just people used to do it if there was like some sort of like tie in to like this is specifically how a native American yeah. tribe used to fight and ball. I don't know. There I, might I, be I, something to that yeah. to like, I get what you're saying about like retracing his steps back to, mm-hmm. uh, this, this, this is very cool though. It's, it's like, interesting that Danny knew how to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Danny escapes from the maze and reunites with Wendy uh, they leave in Halloran's snowcat while Jack freezes to death after losing Danny's trail. Uh, in a photograph in the hallway, uh, we see Jack is pictured standing amidst a crowd of party uh, Re- revelers, revelers from 1921. July 4th, 1921, mind you. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's it's like pretty strikingly uh, terrifying. When there's, it's like a hard cut to the morning and you just see Jack's dead body, like his frozen yeah. dead body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, All right, Eric Koppel, what did you think of The Shining? <laughs> just a piece of shit, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> Top to bottom, bad. No, this movie, like, it's, it's like the only movie <laughs> where I just... I love it more and more every time I watch it. I guess I feel that way about like David Lynch movies, but 
this movie specifically is I mean, I think it, it it just like straight up is my favorite movie and it's uh big reason is it's there's so much you can read into it uh and there's so much mythology behind it uh that you can just watch it over and over again. But also just as a movie, it's really fucking good. Like it's yeah. just a really um well done horror movie from this director who he hadn't done like any horror before or since, did he? I would argue that a lot of his stuff has horrific elements to it. Um You're talking about you're talking about Kubrick? Yeah. Yeah, no, I would definitely argue that two thousand one is basically a horror film. Um that Clockwork Orange is like has horrific elements to it. Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut. Almost all of his yeah, films are. This is like more of like like I mean like a ghost story. Like this is right. something that would have been done. Like if he hadn't done The Shining, like f- someone else would have come along and done like Joe Dante or someone. Right, like, years some later, shithead like, gone and done. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I would love to see a Joe Dante Shining. It would be so but, fucking uh, cool. Yeah, no, but really I, good. I um, I I guess I yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, um, but two thousand one Space Odyssey though is pretty. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty They're, scary. It's pretty scary, especially all the Hal stuff is is like a horror film. Yeah. Uh, um, but but yeah, like no no he n- would never return to. But Kubrick did that though, right? Like every film he made was a genre film in a in a completely different genre. Like Full Metal yeah. Jacket was a Vietnam War film. Um, you know, Barry Lyndon was like a. Up, uh, upscale BBC docudrama almost. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut yeah. was supposed to be like a political thriller slash like um, he called it like those blue novellas, like like a romance yeah. novella. <laughs> um, Dr. Clockwork Orange was like a fun like kids movie. Well, it was. A, I, that's funny you say that, but it it was I think aping off of um, like the exploitation films of the seventies, like, yeah. like like the drive-in movies, like fucked up drive-in films and stuff. Uh, and then, you know, Dr. Strange loves just a comedy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he like dipped his toes in a lot of different genres. He'd always try to like make the best film of, of the genre he was making it in and oftentimes succeeded. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a fucking legend. Uh, I, I, uh, I like the shining a lot though. I don't know like what else, I don't really have anything else to say about it other than I just think it's like maybe a perfect movie yeah. uh, in my mind. And um, I love it. It's great. What do you think of The Shining? I mean, <laughs> it's so funny that we're even doing this because it's like... I know. It's like so silly. It feels so like trite to even talk about The Shining because you're absolutely right. Like it, it's, it is nearly a perfect film, top to bottom. It's, it's, it's great. You know, we've talked, we talked in our last episode, a lot of like our feelings on Kubrick in general. And I feel like those will always uh, be there in the back of my mind. So like some of the stuff about like characters being distant or the stories being told from a distance is, is something that like, I only, I only can tolerate that when it's like Kubrick doing it. Um, yeah. most of my other films I need like he- to be heavily invested. I need like the characters to be very grounded and real, but in this, like it, it doesn't, I don't know. It's like, we're getting like the broad strokes of, of a story. It sounds like, um, from just his 
taking Stephen King's work and rearranging it quite a bit or just like throwing a ton of it out. It's like this interpretation of a story that he saw something in. And I think he saw something about like family and domestic abuse. I think he saw, I think he probably felt like Jack Torrance a lot in his life uh, to his family who all, you know, loved him obviously, but you know, he had to do these films and he was sort of maniacal about them and he got really heavily invested in them. And these films took a lot out of him. I think it drained him. And I think he felt a lot like Jack misunderstood by his family. Like, like, um, uh, all work, no play makes Jack a dull boy type stuff. Uh, I, so I think this, it, it almost, it almost does feel like, uh, beyond all the other stuff that we've talked about in our last episode. And then this one sort of a weird love letter to being a fucked up dad, you know? Um, I also think I also have a story that I kind of wanted to close out on. It's not my story. It's it's Steven Spielberg's story, but this is from the documentary, a life in pictures. Uh, Steven Spielberg talks about how he met Stanley Kubrick, which they went on to become like, incredibly close friends until Stanley died. And you know, the whole reason still Steven Spielberg made AI was to like see through a lifelong dream project that Stanley Kubrick had. Apparently most of AI was already completed. Like it wasn't shot, but like all of the storyboards and the scripts and everything were already done. And and Kubrick was just waiting to make the film. And then unfortunately passed away before that could happen. Yeah. He was like waiting for the technology to get better. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you watch AI, it's a very Kubrickian type movie. I mean, that's ending alone is like a complete, like, uh, uh, you know, like harkens back to 2001 and other, and other films he's made. But, uh, Steven Spielberg's story about meeting Stanley Kubrick was actually at the overlook hotel which I think has a different name, obviously, but um, he was yeah, about it's to the go- underlook. Yeah, the underlook. The yeah, the underblind. <laughs> the uh, apparently Steven Spielberg was um, going in to shoot Raiders of the Lost Ark, oh. and uh, that ho- same hotel they were going to use in Raiders, and so it was one of these situations where they were kind of coming in a couple days early as Stanley Kubrick was like about to leave from making The Shining. And he met Steven Spielberg and uh, um, and Steven Spielberg says that he was so obsessed with showing Spielberg this little tiny like miniature set they built. So like there's the whole hotel, right? Which they basically made an entire soundstage out of this entire hotel. Yeah. But they also built like a miniature version of the hotel so they could plan out shots. And they they had like a little remote control car with a camera. So Stanley Kubrick could like actually move the camera like down the fake halls of the oh, miniature hotel. And this apparently was the thing that Stanley Kubrick really wanted to show Steven Spielberg. Not the hotel, not the amazing like set design yeah. and craft that they had put into the actual like set of The Shining. No, he wanted to show him like a miniature version of it that they built because he thought that was really neat. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that story. Um, pretty good. I yeah, recommend everyone see a, a Life in Pictures. Um, yeah. I watched that this weekend, too. Oh, you did? So pictures. you knew that did, story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. But, uh, yeah, it was good to hear it. It was good to hear it again. And, uh, yeah, I highly recommend a Life in Pictures as well. Um, so we are uh, – w- we're going to be doing Halloween 
next. I think that's the plan. Oh! Uh, oof, Eric, oof. Eric, did you hear that? Sound, um, sound like a yeah, like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> a spooky dog. A spooky uh, dog. And then uh, perhaps Halloween three. Oh um, please, can we? Yeah, yeah, we'll do Halloween three because you still haven't seen. It. I haven't seen it, and, and, uh, and you know we only have how many more episodes until Halloween's over? We only have one. So two, if we do three. Halloween and then Halloween three, Halloween three episode will come out like on Halloween. Yeah, it's going to come out October thirtieth, which is perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I um, love it. So that's the plan. We are. Uh, we haven't even really talked about what we want to do next. Uh, I think we're going to dive into some type of a. We're we're open to suggestions if people want to suggest another franchise they want us to cover, or a director, or a certain actor's body of work. We're uh, open to ideas. Uh, we of course want to cover what you want us to talk about. But Jeremy, did you have anything you wanted to? Uh, say before we sign off or anything you wanted to plug um no 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 plugs uh go to the patreon do your thing there and you can listen to us talk about tales from the creeped which has been uh getting real good i've been busting out that dvd (laughs) box that i got and uh fucking it nonstop. so have you have you surpassed the uh the episode that we're on Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, cool. But but not by much though. Only by two episodes because I just watched like all of one of the discs. Which ev- okay. I, I wasn't. I was shocked in this, but like every disc in this set has a bonus disc with special features on it, which is crazy. And the menus are amazing. The Crypt Keeper talks to you in the DVD menu, like old times. Wow. <laughs> Um, Eric, you got anything you want to plug or, um, no, I, uh, I just want to, uh, all I want to do, Jeremy is say, uh, a quote from the, uh, the book, the shining to mm. sign off. Mm-hmm. Um, so bear with me here. I hope this isn't like clipped and used in some some other way, but uh, I'll say it anyway. I never touched him. I never have since the night I broke his arm. Ah, <laughs> oh, perfect. Perfect.